0: Hello and welcome to the Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game, and is now bitterly regretting having a fiver on San Marino to score against England. I'm Kevin Day. He is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, we both have a soft spot for the underdog, don't we? I think I've seen more Liechtenstein games than most people in Liechtenstein, which is one. Actually, but um, yeah, being although being part Irish,
1: Luxembourg. Do they Luxembourg count as a minnow? Uh, Well, if if they count as a minnow, I hate hate to think what the Republic of Ireland count of us anymore.
0: Fair point. Yeah, that wasn't a good result, was it? (laughs) There were several family WhatsApp groups. I was just sitting there minding my own business, completely forgotten there was a game last night. What's all that that angry pinging going on in my my family (laughs) WhatsApp group? Oh, dear, really? (laughs) Uh, It's questions day, Kieran, but we're not sticklers for tradition here. So we also have uh, an interview with Martin Searle, who's a director of Chippenham Town, of the National League South, uh, a level of football at which shenanigans, shall we say, continue. Uh, (laughs) He's also a Palace fan, that may get mentioned. Um, But before that, Kieran, some questions. And we start with Toby Bowles. Uh, And Toby says, in December, Farhad Mashiri brought another £250 million worth of shares in Everton. And it was explained in various media outlets that his ownership of the club rises to 93% as a result. Surely, though, he says, the other shareholders would have had to agree with him buying the shares as it wasn't their shares he was acquiring.
1: And if so, why would they agree to it? Well, the reason why they'd agree to it, because it actually benefits Everton Football Club. Um, I I, I managed to find a complete list of shareholders of of the football club. And there are 2,067, according to my list, um, most of whom have one or two shares. So it's... It's a shareholding that's that's being bought out of affection and love for the club. Um, Everton, uh, Everton's constitution allows it to increase the number of shares, and they were being sold for three thousand pounds each. So, if you are an existing shareholder of Everton, what's what's the benefit of buying? One of those um, additional shares. If it's going to cost you three grand, it's never going to pay out a dividend. If, if we are realistic, you've already got that share certificate up on your wall in your bedroom, in your bog, in, in your you know, in, in the kitchen, wherever it's going to be, as a reminder of, of your commitment and love for the club. Um, and uh, Mishiri says, you know, "I'm I'm I'm quite happy to put in." um effectively you know an extra 200 million quid half of which was fresh cash half of which is uh, existing loans which is which is which is writing off and converting into shares and uh, the the club is also allowed to to issue um some more shares which could potentially bring in another 100 million pounds so the these shareholders in theory could have gone ahead and tried to buy some of the shares but there, there would be no financial benefits to them. And you've got somebody who is a, a squillionaire who is willing to bankroll the club. He's, he's already put in around about 400 million in total. So I, I think they just said, J- just get on with it. Because if, whether you own one share or two, compared to the number of shares that Mashiri already owns, and he, he, before this share announcement, he owned over 70%, it, it's not going to change your power um, and therefore, there was there was no benefits for the individuals concerned. Mm. Uh, squillionaire, Is that technically a correct term? Uh, yeah, I, I saw it on uh, I saw it on a cartoon, so it's got to be true. It's, not, it's on television. Oh, Every, everything what... everything that's on true is that everything's on telly is true, isn't
0: it? So you've ruined my plan now because I've literally, as you said that, I've written down rich squirrel and then cartoon idea question mark. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do that whilst paying attention to the answers, by the way, Kieran, of course. just so you know. <laughs> uh, Leslie Ackerley has a question about uh, the ownership of grounds, uh, and Leslie points out quite rightly that over recent months we've mentioned a number of clubs who sold their home grounds, effectively losing control of the stadium, in particular Coventry and Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, and Leslie says, remembering the problem Simon Jordan had at Crystal Palace uh, in order to reacquire Sellers Park from a previous chairman, is this not a dangerous road for clubs to take, even if it provides short-term funding? Because, of course, Ron Nodes sold Tellers Park to Mark Goldberg, but he sold the leasehold, not the freehold. And then Simon Jordan was ended, ended up owning the leasehold, not the freehold. So it caused all sorts of problems.
1: Yes. Uh, I, th- I think we've said on more than one occasion on the show that a football stadium does place a, 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 a particular p- place in your heart as a football fan. Mm. And it should be a protected asset. Palace have had their problems. Uh, again, yeah, looking at my club, Brighton, we we own the Goldstone. Um, it, you've said similar about um, about Selhurst. It may be a bit of a shithole, but it's our shithole. And, and, and that's part of why we love it. Um, we ended up spending two years at Gillingham. We then spent you know, 12 years in a, at an athletic track, for, for some, which was not suited for football. Um, Coventry have been bouncing around at Northampton and uh, at Birmingham. And it does look now that they are returning to, to the Rico, which, which is good news. But even so, there they, they will be limits as to what they can do in terms of the way the stadium is run. Um, I, I've been doing a lot of work with uh, West Ham fans recently, and you know a lot of people say, well let's compare West Ham to Spurs you know th- both stadiums are around about six, uh, about sixty thousand capacity. Why is it that Spurs are generating so much more money? Well, Spurs are able to use the stadium to generate money three hundred and sixty five days a year for West Ham who are, who are tenants. They they can use it for twenty five to thirty. So it, it does it does restrict a club's ability to generate revenue. Um, it does restrict what the clubs can do in terms of if you want to increase the number of seats, if you want to go and change you know the, the the color of the of the walkways and things yeah you know, things as simple as that. Um, it, it's exactly the same as if you're yeah uh, you know, if you're talking about private properties, what you can do as a tenant compared to what you can do as an owner are vastly different.
0: Yeah, I, I may admit to other palace fans, Kieran Sellers Park was a shithole, but I don't think I would say it to the likes of you, would I? Have I ever said
1: that? What's is Finley all right? What's he barking at? Um, there's a helicopter going overhead, which which it, I think they have probably got the wrong members of the family that they're spying on. <laughs> it's, it's, it definitely won't
0: be a police helicopter flying over your neck unless unless somebody's trespassing in the vineyard, Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> um our next question comes from Jerry Pruitt. Uh, hang on a second, Kieran, bear with me. Cockney feet mark the beat of history. Every street pins a memory down. Nothing ever can quite replace the grace of London town. Uh, Jerry accused me of being London centric last week, and I didn't want to disappoint <laughs> him. Right, stick, stick that in your regional pipe, Jerry. <laughs> um, Jerry says that Kieran mentioned on a recent pod that the majority of company accounts at Companies House are not audited. As a former internal auditor, says Jerry, I was stunned by this. Basically, without audit, you can submit any old figures with nothing to back them up. I know that even audited accounts can still be economical with the truth, but at least someone qualified has put their name to it. Do
1: any Premier League or EFL clubs submit unaudited accounts? All Premier League clubs publish audited accounts or send them in. Um, under Companies Act legislation, Companies Act 2006, if your sales are less than. 10.2 million and you've got less than 50 employees um, you've got the option of unaudited accounts so this means that practically every club in in the lower two divisions except Sunderland Ipswich and Pompey um satisfy these criteria and we do see uh, an awful lot of clubs uh, take up this option they said we're saving us money yeah we don't have to get the accounts audited mm. um HMRC tends to be sort of more keen to investigate unaudited clubs, but given that they're all loss-making loss anyway, there's not a huge benefit there for HMRC. Um, it is said that if you get an audit, you, you're, you're higher up in terms of credit rating, but you know, any lender who's not insane, wouldn't in, it wouldn't lend to a, a football club anyway. So so there's not huge benefits to the clubs themselves, mm. except it, when, when you start to look at some of the unaudited uh, accounts, and here i've got though i i've managed to find the accounts of oldham uh, in 2018 and and they sent in a set of accounts which were unaudited um and they said uh, uh, we at the end of the season we had cash of 261,000 pounds now most of accountants most of accounting stuff is is just guesswork mm. um but cash isn't you, know, you you and i both know how much money we've got in our bank accounts when when we nervously open up those apps um, and and then a couple of months later, Oldham set up, sent in a different set of accounts, and instead of having two hundred and sixty-one grand in their bank account, they had five. Now this is a bit like you know me coming home at four a.m. Um, yeah, you know, and the Baroness says, "Well, how much did you go and spend tonight?" And I say, "Oh, it was uh, just just a tenner." Um, and and then the the following morning, she she takes a look at the bank account, and I've taken out you know three hundred quid three times or something um from a cash point, so you know it's it's very strange that clubs can't even get the amount of cash right in the accounts um and if they're unaudited there's nobody checking them
0: uh, these these are not just football rules it's it's any business uh, above a, or below a certain amount has to be audited so, so these are general
1: business h m r c laws are they that, that's right it's it's com- if, you, if you actually take a look ninety nine percent of company accounts are unaudited oh it's, really? it's okay. only- it's only the likes of you know Marks and Spencers and Vodafone and uh, you know big big successful companies like Manscaped um, who um, will will actually go through the the rigmarole of being audited because because they they they're they're too big to to, to slip through the rules
0: or the Financial Times or oh, I can't remember who's sponsoring this this week. To be honest. <laughs> yes. Um I've got uh, my my West Bank app saves me a lot of time. I just open it, it goes at. at. <laughs> uh, fair, I don't even bother checking. Um, the I couldn't let this question go by, Kieran, without the twelve-year-old
1: version of Kevin Day saying, "Have you ever conducted an internal audit?" Um, no, I have done the external audit of um, many companies, including uh, some football clubs. Oh, I, I thought you'd.
0: I thought you'd go straight for a Moscow joke there, Kieran. I <laughs> I was, I was excuse- trying to be. Trying to be no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> I'm not gonna let I'm not gonna let that happen, Kieran. <laughs> I don't I don't think we I don't think we're being judged for any awards this week. It's fine. Um our next question comes from Arna Marcus. Uh, again, Arna, I apologize um, if I mispronounced that. But Arna says AFC Wimbledon recently received a request to ground chair with the London
1: Broncos rugby league club. How much could we expect to earn from this? Um not a huge amount. I mean I, I did take a look at the likes of uh, wasps who I think were paying around about half a million a year at Wickham, so that yeah, that would have been quite high. But London Broncos have been bouncing up and down uh, between the championship and Super League as far as rugby is concerned. And given that they they only had total income coming in of one million pounds when they're in the championship, I don't think it will be huge for AFC Wimbledon, but we're probably talking a six-figure sum.
0: Okay. Patrick Green tells us that he is an aspiring accountant, currently working in a boring accountancy office. <laughs> that narrows it down. <laughs> uh, and in brackets, he said, don't tell my boss. Uh, and in brackets, I thought, we're not grasses. Um, but also, we won't tell your boss, Patrick, but a lot of people listen to this pod. He, it could be Your boss could be one of them. Um, Interesting question though, Patrick says, does the unpredictability of the Premier League this season and the relative success of West Ham and Leicester and Southampton early on show that financial fair play is becoming a success in bridging the competitive gap, hence giving a huge incentive to run effectively and be frugal to a degree like Spurs have done recently,
1: although Spurs haven't actually won anything, so that damages the argument a little bit. Um, yeah, I think we are in an unusual season. If, if we take a look, um, I think nine of the last 10 FA Cups have been won by clubs in the, in the so called Big Six, Greedy Six, as we prefer to refer to them. Um, if we take a look at the, the Premier League, 27 out of 29 have gone to, uh, again, those clubs, in fact, have gone to five clubs because uh, Spurs are. are are the greedy six, but they're not big unless you assume that winning trophies is is not big Mm. Um, and it's not clever. Um, (laughs) And the Carabao Cup, it's 14 out of the last 16 have have gone again to that that, that same group of clubs. So I I think it's a change in our psyche because you and I, Kevin, we're both old enough to remember Derby County, Nottingham Forest, Blackburn Rovers, Leeds United, Aston Villa, Everton – uh, all winning the, the the top tier of English football. And we just said, oh, they're the best team this season. And, you know, therefore they deserve to win it, as opposed to the fact that they're the clubs which have got more money than anybody else this season. So therefore it's an, it's an inevitability that they're going to win it, or an almost inevitability. If you think that, you know, 20, say 27 out of 29 Premier League titles, it's only, um, you know, it's, it's only Leicester who have sort of really changed things. Um, and, and you've got you've got to give them huge credit for that. Um, so I think there's been a change in the the mentality of us as football fans. We, we've just we, we've been sort of browbeaten into thinking that richer equals better because they win more trophies. they're not better they simply pay more wages. Football's a talent industry. Yeah, you know, and it's you, know, you, you work in a talent industry, and you know that there will be some people raking in huge sums and getting all the big tours. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're better, but it's um, you know it, it, there, there is very much a correlation between revenue being generated um, and the wages that these clubs can afford to go out, which gets turned into trophies. Uh, that's interesting. though that, because uh, thinking
0: about the the seventies, was uh, when Liverpool won the league every second year. None of us accused them of buying it. You just thought, well. They're a really good team, they've got a really good manager and they, they get really good players in. So it's only really when the Premier League came along that you started to think, oh Man United are the, the, the richest club, that's why they win. That, so that that correlation between better and richer is, is a relatively new one, isn't it? That's an interesting point. Yeah, but then
1: then in the you know, if if we go back to the seventies and eighties, there there didn't used to be this huge difference, the the yeah. income differential between a Greedy six club and a non greedy six club is three hundred and fifty million pounds a year on average. Yeah,
0: and that's well, that's a ridiculous
1: yeah. amount. That al- and that allows you to buy flops. If, if you take a look at you know Chelsea, Chelsea spent what quarter of a billion pounds last summer on players who I think it's fair to say have been hit and miss. But you can afford more misses if, if you're if you're a richer club.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Fair point, Luke Judson. So Coventry City have a loan deal with
0: Arsenal for Ben Sheaf with an obligation to buy for £750,000. Originally, though, the asking price was widely reported to be £900,000. Why would Arsenal reduce the fee? Does it mean Coventry have an excellent negotiator and Arsenal a poor one?
1: Or, Luke, I suppose it could mean that the original reports were wrong. Uh, Indeed, it could. I mean, I I went here to the FIFA Global Transfer Market Report, did you? Oh yes, yeah, a bit of uh, bit of bit of nighttime talk between myself and the Baroness on that, like, as you can imagine. Um, and um, it said that in 2020, on the back of COVID, the volume, i.e., the number of transfers, was down by five percent, but the value is down by twenty three percent. So, if, if we take a look at this from the interest of the three parties, first of all, Arsenal is a selling club. Um, you know, Ben Chief. Clearly has has made an impression um, at uh, at Coventry, but I would suspect that Arsenal do not see him having a long term future at the club. Um, the overall value of transfers has come down, so that gives increased negotiating strength to to the buyer because it is a buyer's market at present. We've seen the collapse of the the French. Uh, the french transfer market because their tv deal has has disappeared we've just seen the italian tv deal been announced last week that's gone down in value the bundesliga's deal is, is down by five percent so that's driving prices down across the whole of europe and, and this has allowed coventry to say to arsenal well yeah originally we were talking 900 grand but yeah we could buy a similar player to ben chief for 750 um yeah, you know, are you prepared to drop your price? And and it looks as if Arsenal have, have turned around and, and have made that as a commercial decision. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, James Dennis says, and I quote: "I'm I, <laughs> I find it hard to read this out seriously, Kieran. Um, I'm actually currently writing an essay about contracts in football for a university module, and I and want to to his work for him. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the idea that he's actually writing it as he listens." And <laughs> um, just hang on a second. I'll just hear this. Um, James wants to ask about the way players are paid. Players are mostly paid, of course, a fixed wage with maybe some individual bonuses. But should players be paid on team performance, like league and tournament wins, for example, with the money equally distributed based on minutes played?
1: Um, if, if we actually do take a look at some contracts now, I you know I, both of us have got to know one or two people in the industry, and you've far more than I have. Um I occasionally get to see a, a contract and they are heavily incentivized. Um the 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 average wage in the Premier League is around about fifty grand a week. Um, clearly, some players are on considerably more than that. But there, there will be huge bonuses for uh, you know, for a club such as mine. Um, you know, surviving in the Premier League is worth an awful lot to players. Um, and then there will be individual bonuses for uh, team uh, team achievements. So that will be achieving a certain number of points that is actually closely is more closely linked these days to the final position that the club has in the table and the reason for that is that each 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 position is is worth about an extra just under an extra 2 million pounds to the club so the clubs are incentivized to do well they pass on some of that to the players in in terms of uh, you know ind- individual contracts um so it is very much uh, team orientated Uh, It will be also performance, uh, performance linked as well. Uh, And normally, if if you're a regular starter, then the chances are you're going to be playing uh, the majority of the matches. So, so there is very much a a link. I've looked at uh, I've looked at the accounts of uh, well, let's face it, every single football club um, and um, the world, yeah, (laughs) um, and some of the numbers are staggering. So, I, I took a look at. Manchester City's is uh, it's got a little little side note to the accounts but that that managed to come into uh, my viewing um they have performance related uh, liabilities or obligations now some of these will be to clubs um but most of these will be to players of 200 million pounds wow so yeah there's all this talk about the quadruple for Manchester City this season well, nobody's mentioning that if you go to you know, page thirty-eight, note twenty-three, or wherever it is, um, you know, it could be that the, the players could have enormous benefits on on a personal in, personal level in terms of financial. Yeah, ultimately, the players are there to win matches, and and, and that's what, but uh, and that's what motivates them. But having that as as a, as a backup, you know, somebody. or a a group of people are going to benefit potentially from up to £200 million uh, from Manchester City, part of which will be linked to the quadruple, others will be for international caps and things of this nature. But it, it it has a huge impact upon the total wage bills and costs for clubs.
0: Yeah, I think Martin Tyler is arguably the best commentator in the world, but even I can't see Martin Tyler saying, as City, head for the quadruple, this is good news for those players with section (laughs) 23.8 in their contracts, isn't it? Um, And yes, we do both know people in football, Kieran, but you know grown-ups, and I know people like Razor Ruddock, and he ain't showing me any contracts. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't really... Generally not showing me anything. Well, no, he is showing me anything, but it's mainly the last laugh, turkey <laughs> in the um, Now, this, this question, Kieran, is, it's not so much a question as a domestic, to be honest. It's quite. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Hugh Bessant says that his son James is now 21. Congratulations. That when he was younger, he cost me at least £100 a season in fines for yellow cards. He's carried on this disciplinary shame in both county-standard football and Sunday league. He's rarely nasty. Uh He's not that sort of player, Kieran. Um, (laughs) He's just a combative midfielder who likes to put in a tackle. Uh Um, Hugh's question is, where do these fines go? And do professionals have to shell out twelve pound every time they get a yellow card as well? I don't know where to start unpacking issues in this question, Kieran. I think James maybe is seeking his dad's attention. I don't know, but it's it's a good question.
1: Where where does the money go? Um, well, the the money goes to the football association um, on on a local level, um, and it is then used as part of the distribution. So it will go to helping out grassroots and things of this nature. But I. I have you ever known a manager or somebody connected to a player to say that he is really nasty no of course not he's not one of those yeah. players we know that no it, it's uh, you know it, and you know say so you're friendly with razor runner another he he was yeah, combative um to put it mildly um but he yeah was he nasty no he just like kicking people
0: um yeah well also he bizarrely he liked kicking people and he liked being kicked he, he always said he, he enjoyed the process of coming off the pitch in agony which is a, a strange one but yes you're quite right none there aren't even at sunday league for people used to say about me when i got another yellow card. It was always a classic well oh, you got there as quickly as you could you yeah, there's a bloke being carried off over there because i got there as quickly as i could
1: i, I, ne- I never had a yellow card yeah never read yellow or red
0: red card that doesn't surprise me at all to be perfectly honest you, you never turned up for a game hungover for a start-off you? <laughs> ready that's, that's nothing to boast about you've never had a yellow or red card I get sent off twice in one match playing against the team. <laughs> I did, yeah, playing against the team of priests. I, 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 genuinely, I got sent initially. I was sent off after ten minutes because I went, Jesus Christ! Ref, and the referee sent me off for profanity. And then I sneaked back on, and he, he realised fifteen minutes later that I sneaked back on, and he sent me off again. But there you go. Um, um, it went, I, I, I'll tell you the reason I'm interested in this question, Kieran. And I, I, I would wonder if you could put a figure on it because I, I did a podcast recently a referees podcast uh and they asked the same question um they asked me to ask you in fact so i'm glad that hugh besant raised this because i was surprised to learn that there is no official kind of counseling or mentoring service for young referees you know we know the sort of level of abuse they can get um when they're starting out in the game and indeed later on and they wondered whether uh, something similar, you know, some kind of guidance and counselling could be paid for by fines for disciplinary breaches. So, but we we couldn't work out what the level of money we're talking about.
1: Um, I, I know that the the English FA, I think it has around about thirteen million pounds from what it calls other sources, which includes. Um, it includes fines, but that, that, that tends to be when it finds clubs or it has separate hearings for players. And and the players themselves, of course, get fined by their employer, um, you know, depending upon the nature of the offence. So you know, a lot a lot of clubs take a, a very dim view of uh players getting fined for you know for shouting rude stuff at the referee because it, it's just a waste of a yellow card. You know, yeah. if if if, if yeah, some if somebody's cool. going through and you take him out, you know, we, we we all know we say, well, yeah, we we, we, we we shouldn't condone it, but we go, thank fuck for that. Um, yeah, it took well from and, the team. Yeah, yeah. You know, so so that there will be uh, different approaches taken by teams, but I think uh, you know, it's, as somebody that used to referee myself, and um, yeah, you know, I, I was, I, I I gave it up. I just yeah, you know, I'd reached the stage where yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't yeah. You know, if, if people want to meth and Jeff at me, that's fine. But when it gets threats of physical violence. From from and it wasn't wasn't the players, it tends to be their family on on the sidelines you go you know, yeah wh- why am I doing this um so, and and it, it can be quite uh you know i'm 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 a fat so and so and six foot three and so on, but yeah, you know, I can look after myself, but even so you think well it this could get quite quite lively um and uh yeah I, I think referees do need far more support like they don't get enough um and and you, you don't do it. Uh, out of anything, apart from love of the game, of course. So, you know, oh. you're not you're not power crazy. I can I can assure you. Yeah, you know, I used to go to to many referees meetings, and and it was they they were just as keen on football because we used to play five aside. Yeah, you know, as oh, of
0: course. Of all, all, all the referees I've met are obsessed with with football. This it's the only way they could find to get into the game. They all they all love the game. You know what you should have done, Kieran, when you were being abused by family members on the side. You should have marched up to them and said, "Excuse me, madam," as a player. I never received a yellow or red card. <laughs>
1: they would have really have respected you for that. Yeah. Now, actually, I should have pointed out to them who my uncle Terry was. That would have, that would definitely would have worked. <laughs> <laughs> uncle <laughs> Terry. Okay. Right. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. Uncle, uncle Terry was abusing the ref on the other pitch at the time. That, and this idea, yeah, it still makes me laugh. The idea of Sunday League players being fine, because I don't recall anyone ever. Paying. I don't recall even knowing how to pay the fine or who to pay it to. But- it's the club secretary. The club secretary would be doing that. We never had a club secretary. We had Roy. Did- <laughs> Roy was the manager. Roy was the manager and the captain. I don't know if this is the place to tell him this, but Roy was only the manager and the captain because he had a big washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. sorry, I didn't want you to hear it like that, Roy, but basically, none of us, none of us could wash the kits, basically um but players individually are not fine you know if, if a if a premier league player gets a yellow card he's not being fined by the fa for that individual yellow card is he
1: um officially uh, it is the individual player um oh, who okay. is responsible for for the fine is my understanding but you know normally the, the club secretary will organize this and and then it's up to them to dis- to determine whether or not they're going to recoup it from the player um i, I i've I've tried to find this out, but I don't know how much it would be um, in, in the Premier League uh, because it, it is the Football Association that determines fines rather yes. than uh, in individual divisions. So I, I don't think that it would necessarily be a huge amount unless they are up for you know, particular charges. Because you, you could have a uh, it would have to be a flat fee, of course. It wouldn't be li- linked to the players' wages. And remember, you've got you know, you've got seventeen and eighteen year old apprentices sometimes getting a match towards the end of the season they won't they won't be on big money especially That's if they're cool. in in the low leagues
0: yeah uh, in the meantime james Besant if you are live listening seriously rein yourself in come on stop stop putting these tackles in you're breaking your dad's heart here and and his wallet hey, so, but, but he's not nasty no, no, of course he's not. He's, we, we know that. He's, he's a sweetheart. He's like, he's like Paul Scholes. It's just every now and again you can push these people too far. And we still have one more question to discuss, Kieran, and it's a goodie. But first, we have a chat with Martin Searle. And Martin is one of the directors of National League Club South Chippenham Town. And he wanted us to tell us about the latest developments in the ongoing row between the league and some of its own clubs. Martin, thank you for coming on. really appreciate this. Um, Before we discuss the latest twist in this unsavoury plot, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to be a director at Chippenham Town FC and what life has been like at that level of football in the last couple of months.
2: Well, thank you for having me, uh, Kevin. I got involved in Chippenham Town. I mean, I was a season ticket holder anyway. Um, And I got involved really sort of quite randomly, sort of somebody contacted me via Twitter, who was one of the directors, and said, you know, we need a COVID medical officer to start the season. Yeah. And he knew I was a, a, a GP. And uh, so I thought, well, yeah, okay, fair enough. And so, it, you know, it's a question of as long as they paid my, my insurance, everything, you know, everything else was just me providing it for free. And it had to be done, otherwise they couldn't play fixtures. And so, and so it was. So I, mean, I can't say I've ever known normal times. Um, and I feel a bit strange because I'm sort of, you know, most recent. Because I came as a medical officer, but after a fairly short space of time, they've made me a director as well. Mm-hmm. And I feel sort of almost like an innocent abroad, really, because, you know, <laughs> I am I am say, the most recently one in. Um, but, it, yeah, it's been a great privilege. It's been a great insight as well. But they've been very stormy times, of course. I mean, we had all the COVID policies to sort out. We managed to get one match actually with spectators on Boxing Day uh, after getting through all the hoops and hurdles, and then everything shut down again. And then we're suddenly in the broad in this financial mess. So it's been uh, interesting times in that old cursed way. Mm. So um, not easy really-
0: I, I imagine they're quite excited about having the spurious glamour of a palace fan on the board, aren't they?
2: Uh, oh well, just the, the thrill completely escapes them. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's indeed, my my. Um... My fellow director, who I was doing stuff around the ground with, exactly at the same time at Palace were losing very heavily at home to Liverpool, and he is a plastic Liverpool supporter, oh, uh, Lord. enjoyed every goal that was going in. And he got his notifications about 30 seconds before I did. So uh, that yeah. was a wonderful afternoon.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> seven shots on target, Martin, and scored seven goals. That's shocking. <laughs> that's, better than, that's better than Brighton's expected goal. <laughs> 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 way we do things. It, it, Martin, every, every story we've discussed about the National League this season has contained the word acrimonious. And this new development, I don't think it's going to do anything to help that. Talk us through what's happened this week. Well, I mean,
2: I, what's happened this week is the culmination of process that started uh, back in the beginning of February. Well, that's the culmination of the process that started really back in, in, in November. So um, if I just get down to what happened this week, what's happened this week has it was that we've had the verdicts on charges that were brought under rule 8.39 of failure to fulfill fixtures which we can go into details of if you, if, you, if you want but what's happened least, yeah. is that a number of clubs who felt they could not afford to to play uh, the fixtures there, there was some in some cases there was the covid worry as well but yeah. it was financial and because the the What we felt were promised grants had not materialised in January and had become potential loans rather than grants. Um, We had stopped playing fixtures. There had been a two-week suspension of the National League, uh, which overlapped with the commencement of the vote on the resolutions as to whether to make it null and void. But they resumed playing without the vote having come back. So nothing actually having changed. Um so we could not afford to play the fixtures and we were not the only club in that situation. So as a result, 16 clubs have been weighed off this week, all getting their verdicts simultaneously announced at a terribly interesting time of five o'clock on a Friday evening. Um, we were actually, well, we were all told early in the afternoon, but with an embargo of five o'clock, which some clubs uh, chose to break, not us, but some clubs did, um, it did seem a bit like the National League had pressed a button and run away. Um, and as you might imagine, things have erupted and are quite the furore since. And where there was discontent before, there is there is uproarious discontent now. I, uh, I, yeah, so
0: I, I know that Dulwich Hamlet were fined £8,000 and given a suspended eight-point
2: deduction. exactly the same as us. Um, exactly. Basically, it was this, the tariff that was used was, I mean, they were even handed in their viciousness. Um, they uh, it was basically two thousand pounds per charge, i.e., per fixture not fulfilled. And there was a bit of luck of the draw. How many you had in that period, really? We had four in that period, Dulwich had four in that period, Slough had four in that period, uh, some of the National League North teams had four, and everybody had two thousand pounds for each fixture they hadn't turned up for. Um, the the points suspended, um, hanging over us for next season, and um. The uh, there was some reduction. Two of the clubs in out uh, of the 16 decided to basically plead guilty to the charge of um failing to fulfill the fixtures without just cause, mm. so they had a reduction of uh, I think 30 percent. 30 percent, and two of the clubs had extra uh, uh charges of Covid breaches and they got mm. separate fines for that. But so basically, 14 of the clubs were just straight 839 uh, charges. Uh, everybody apart from Dover Athletic, of course, was a separate case. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're we're looking in our case at eight thousand pound fine, plus the hundred and fifty pound we paid for the trying a personal hearing. That didn't make any difference to the to the actual uh, level of fine that was given out, mm. um, because we had we had we not prepared to plead guilty to the charge because we felt we had just cause to not fulfil the fixture.
0: Yeah, well, I'll come I'll come on to that, Martin, as well, because, as you'll guess, we agree with you. But, Kieran, just uh, you know, Dulwich Hamlet, Chippenham fined £8,000. Presumably, that will outweigh any cost that those clubs would have saved by not playing the games, will it?
1: Um, in all probability, yes, because the, the clubs have taken uh, advantage of the furlough scheme, so it has allowed them to save some money. But if you take a look at the National League's comments, it was... Um, you as football clubs have done something to try to ensure your sustainability, your existence in the future. We don't like that. So therefore, we're going to fine you for it. And it's it's completely ludicrous. The clubs in the National League, they're all losing money already. You can see why some clubs who have previously been in administration, they don't want to run the risk of that again. So therefore, they're very keen to avoid debt. Yet the, the approach taken by the National League is it's, it's beyond bafflement.
0: Yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk specifically about the National League's approach in a moment, but there's two details, Martin, I particularly want to confirm with you. I, in all the research I've done into this, and for once I did some proper research,
2: I can't work out... This, Sorry, this, I'm just getting back on my chair from having fallen
0: off. <laughs> don't you? i get enough of that from Kieran, don't you, Stark? Um, from a Palace fan as well, Martin, it's shameful. Oh, oh. shameful, shameful. Yeah, do you know what? We're uh, we'll we'll make an, an important announcement at the end of this pod about a new Patreon service. And one of the suggestions was that guy, producer guy, said maybe the patrons could get a look at your script. And he's like, my well, my what? <laughs> <laughs> um, the um, point, the point deduction. No, you got a suspended eight point deduction. I can't for the life of me find out when or where or what the circumstances would be of that deduction. Kicking in, is it? If you don't or pay the eight, fine, is it? If is it? If, if you don't
2: breach next year, the next season is the uh, is. I'm not sure if I've got the official wording in their verdict here. Um, so that's actually the, the hearing one, but the because um, somewhere here I have actually got the actual the weighing off. But um, basically, it's it's if we breach 839 again next year, then the entire point deduction gets activated, which means that we have a Damoclean sword hanging over us. Which I think is well you you some might feel that that was part of their um part of their agenda, I mean, I couldn't possibly comment if they
0: yeah. well, we can because it 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 just seems to that they're taking that Damoclean sword uh and driving it as a wedge between you and the other clubs in the league for a start off but the second the second detail i I don't quite understand, and the evening standard who have been very good on the the case of Dulwich Hamlet. The key words in there: this. The clubs, while they awaited confirmation of the season being suspended, the clubs didn't fulfil their fixtures. So that's the they awaited confirmation. Everyone knew that the season was going to be suspended, so it made no sense to force clubs who couldn't afford to pay play to play. Did it? I don't. I don't. That's the bit I really don't get about the national leagues attitude.
2: I wouldn't say that we knew that it was going to be suspended. Um, I mean, we. We were gradually coming to a conclusion that that should be the way it went. It was the way we were hoping we were hoping it was going to go. It was the way we had certainly voted we didn't the 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 vote was announced on the first of february that uh, yeah, there would be a vote on what the resolutions were. The results were announced on the eighteenth It was only when they were announced on the eighteenth we knew for sure they would be being made null and void. but it was becoming increasingly apparent that that was the likely outcome. Mm. Uh, but certainly, it is true to say that we are being um, charged for not fulfilling fixtures that technically don't exist. Yes, it's uh, and it's we, very picturesque, it, it's it's just,
0: very, it, isn't it? Just um, we've already used a lot of references, some of our listeners won't get Martin. So. Sorry, I, yeah,
2: I've to used two bad ones already. I do apologize. That,
0: that's fine, no, I get them. Kieran has them explained to him, but you know, <laughs> um, this we talked about the National League's attitude. This, the bit that most annoyed me, Martin, is the National League. Trying to distance themselves from their own decision by constantly referring to the fact that it was the decision of an independent panel, and that yeah. the panel, and then also the worst bit, and that the panel expressed its sympathy with the club's predicament. Did that soften the blow
2: for you at oh, all? Uh, no, it's lovely. Although I, in, rather than sympathy, we could do with the money. To be honest, I mean, rather than be unsympathetic and not not fine us. Um, Yeah, one of the questions we would very much like, uh, I would very much like an answer to, because I haven't seen these anywhere it's been referred to, is how this independent panel was chosen. I mean, there were three people in the panel. I've done some due diligence in the background as far as I can work out. There's one of them I can't really work out much about, but two of them come from a background of uh, working in the FA and the judicial uh, and sort of, administration side of things, which is, funny enough, where the interim general manager just came from. Mm. So it basically, you, you know, it could be thought that uh, bloke ex-FA picks blokes from FA, uh, but don't worry, if you don't like their outcome, you can appeal to the FA.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's gone from Pinter to Kafka now, is not it? Um, uh, Kieran, the, the National League have got... Previous in this, haven't they? Using independent panels and hiding behind that. The, the whole farrago about hiding the criteria by which the grant loan, whatever it was called, was was distributed, was put down to independent panel. And so on. they've done it before. It's, it's the least people can expect is openness about who's made this decision and
1: why they've made it, isn't it? Yes, unfortunately, the, the National League has a track record of not disclosing the rationale behind decisions. So, for those people not familiar with the payouts, uh, the, the, uh, the the National Lottery uh, agreed grants uh, to the National League a few months ago with regards to uh, loss of matchday income, and then the National League decided to use a completely different set of rules to to work out the the numbers involved, which caused a lot of. Uh, Unhappiness amongst clubs. Uh, it just doesn't seem to be an organisation which believes in governance and uh, transparency. Which, at times like this, make, makes it very, very indefensible.
2: Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the words governance and transparency because governance and transparency are two of the things I really want to see you know, playing out here, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm failing to see them. It has to be said, and uh, you know, that's one of my big asks out of all this. I mean, we will be we will be appealing. This, this verdict, and we will hope to, to come out of it with a good outcome. But it, to me, it is imperative that we start the season, the next season, with a clear business plan for the league, which includes the possibility of there being no spectators for a period of time somewhere in winter, when there will inevitably be some wave of some sort. And it depends how the government reacts to it. And we have to have a better plan. We have to have a more transparent, honest, and open plan than we had this time. We cannot be doing this you know, another season. It will kill the game. It will kill the clubs.
0: You, you talk about an appeal, Martin. The, you, you've been encouraged not to appeal by this offer of a 30% deduction. No, you know,
2: the, we, we haven't had the 30% deduction. So, um, yeah, because we... Because we didn't plead guilty in the first place.
0: Well, that's that was my point. You've been you've been um, lured, or, or you've you've had the promise of a thirty percent deduction no, no, if you no, don't no, appeal. No. Uh,
2: that moment has gone. The um, the two clubs who have had their thirty percent deduction. They can't appeal. I suppose they could appeal the verdicts, but it would be very silly to them to do so.
0: But that's yeah. something else in the research that I've done. There doesn't seem to be any mechanism for appeal there's no talk about the fact that there is a right of appeal to this so is there a right of appeal or well, are you just assuming that a
2: you- right of appeal to the fa but it's a one-line thing and it doesn't say exactly how you do it so we are looking into that now i mean from my rough calculations last night um as far as i could see from from you know social media activity and club statements uh, there are uh, at least six clubs who intend to appeal there are four who are considering their options, um, because they've got to have, you know, due process meetings. In the case of Dulwich Hamlet, everything they do is run past, you know, a large body of their fans. Anyway, yeah. there are four who are considering appealing, and are very likely to. Uh, two, two that can't appeal the the, the verdict really because they they took the the the, uh, the plea bargaining, as it were yeah um, and there's there's four that are unknown there's three clubs i don't, you can't even work out who three of the clubs are
0: oh really so w- will you be appealing individually or will you be getting together with the other clubs
2: no, this this remains to be seen i think i mean we we have to press the button saying we're going to appeal we've got a fourteen day period to to do that, but there will undoubtedly be conversations between the clubs as to whether this stage of the proceedings is, is best done uh, with some at least degree of cooperation and information sharing between clubs. And then we have to consider our options uh, in the event that the appeal to the FA is, as I somewhat suspect it would be, unsuccessful.
0: Mm. And what's been the attitude of the clubs that did fulfil their fixtures? Presumably it's not a sympathetic one.
2: Um, I, 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 don't think there's been, I don't think there's been any poison thrown around, to be honest. Uh I think I mean <laughs> unfortunately they they feel pretty sour as well because uh, quite a few of those then wanted to carry on playing. Uh and those plans got stymied at FA level, but I don't necessarily think they were given the best um the best shaping by the National League. Um so they're being they're pretty cross about their own business really. And we weren't get we weren't getting upset about them wanting to carry on playing. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they got particularly upset about us not playing. Uh I think there's a different level of activity in the top division. There's some real negative stuff being thrown around there, some nasty stuff, Mm -hmm. and uh, being thrown mainly at Dover. Um, And I I think it's best to think of them as two separate entities, really, you know, Tier 1 and Tier 2 for this. Uh, And in many respects, they are, because Tier 1 is full of, you know, big clubs, ex-Football League clubs, you know, full-time clubs. We're full of, you know, we are a part-time club. We run... Almost entirely on on volunteers and you know every money people say oh you you had money to start the season you know to they, we had money per month to pay the bills per month and when the money ran out we had no money to pay the bills if we didn't shut down a furlough you know so they are they are chalk and cheese so we've had a we've had sympathy from from the other clubs I wouldn't say there's going to be anything more than sympathy but uh, we've certainly got a substantial body between us and the the South, you know, us and the National League North to have a decent body of um, clubs who want to take this all a bit further.
0: Mm. Interesting, just in passing, what you mentioned about Dover, because I noticed that Sky, if you watch the results coming in on Sky, they waste no opportunity to have a go at Dover. And I can't quite understand why that is. But, but talking of broadcasters leads us on to sponsorship. You, the Vanorama signed a new sponsorship deal.
2: Yeah. Is, is that going to help you in any way financially? Um, I have absolutely no idea how that pans out for us. I'm not involved in that much detail of the finances. Uh, what I will say is that um, I know that some clubs were um, were certainly um, tweeting at Vanarama to try and, uh, get, and to bring some influence. And so there was some were a little bit disappointed seemed, signing a big new deal, three year deal, because that didn't you know, change anything. I, I mean the the way it works is that the chunks of the money and usually the the voting power goes to the top division, uh, and you know I mean they're the ones. same with the TV money. Obviously, they're the ones who get shown on TV. Occasionally, we don't. You know, so I understand how that works, but um, I have no idea what we see of that Vanarama money. Uh,
0: Kieran, do you know how much Chipping and Town
1: would expect to get out of that Vanarama deal? Can you put I, a specific saw- figure? I've not got. We've not got the actual numbers from the national league, so I can't say per club. Right, but how much will the league be getting? Do you know from the Vanarama deal? Um, we're not talking big numbers. Yeah, you know, if they're getting six figures, they're actually doing quite well. Okay. Um,
0: finally, Martin, I'm going to ask you to finish in a moment with a message to the national league. But you mentioned being the COVID officer yeah. at the club. Do you think at the start of next season, if if we are still all three, if there hasn't been a, another mutant variant from Mars that we had no idea was going to happen, do you think people will be going back into grounds in September, your ground in particular, as though nothing had happened with no social distancing, no sanitizers, etc.? Or do you think with your COVID officer hat, well, that that's something we'll we'll have to put up with I suppose for want of a better word for think, seasons to come it may have
2: to be put up with for a while well just well, I think it's very difficult to second guess it because mm. uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, you know speed bumps in the way of, of going along that roadmap. map um, so uh, at the moment I think we're only psychologically allowing for the idea of it operating like we did on Boxing Day which worked which worked very well mm. where we had ticketing in advance so that we got all the track and trace details Quickly and easily to process people on a date, that much quicker. Um, That, yeah, we had the social distancing. It's all in place for it. We can always make it less socially distanced, but we're all ready to rock as it is. So we've got all our plans in place. I mean, there will be some, I don't know, the ugly sports have been jabbed, may be quite happy to come along. It may be some of the younger ones aren't happy to come along. We'll we'll just cross that hurdle when we, you know, cross that hurdle. Well, never mind. Um, (laughs) When we come to it. Yeah, can we? We,
0: can, we can cross that hurdle when we, when we cross that <laughs> hurdle, Martin. That's fine. You can do it with
2: one. Let me just, just quickly just draw attention to one sentence in their ruling, which is fascinating. Of course. That clock was going to ding. Um, it says about the f- future funding. It says, um, grant funding from Camelot of 30k a month for October and December had enabled the season to start. However, it became apparent at the end of December that future funding would not be guaranteed in the form of grants, but the likelihood was that loans would be make- made available to club clubs. The panel believes, this is the independent panel, believe the information given by the league at the outset was a genuine misunderstanding, and the league wall did not deliberately mislead its clubs. Interesting choice of words, I think, because uh, they stress them deliberately, but they're not really denying they misled us.
0: That is interesting, isn't it? It's, it's very similar to the um, ruling on Nicola Sturgeon. There's, there's, there's misleading and there's deliberately misleading, but yeah, it's it's that's the bizarre thing about football, Martin. As we discuss all the time, in any other business, anybody who misled the the members of their association will be answering for it. But in football, it doesn't it doesn't happen. Martin, we do have to finish up. I, this technically this, this was technically meant to be a short interview because Sorry. it's questions okay. day. No, no, it's my fault, and I, I knew the subject wouldn't lend itself to a short interview. But can you can you finish, Martin, if possible, with a, just a, a clear unequivocal message to the National League about your situation?
2: Right. The clear message about a situation is that we made the only decision we possibly could for the sustainability of the club. We are not prepared to bankrupt a club that was founded in 1873. We wish this club to still be here, you know, in the years to come for the future generations and for this community. Um, we are not happy with the way things are. We will pursue all options available to us. We will discuss with other clubs how best to do that. And if they think it's over, it isn't. Uh,
0: Martin, that's wonderful. For what it's worth, you have uh, the full support of this podcast and I guess 99% of the people listening to it, if there's anything we can do to help in the future with that appeal, if there's any information you want us to get out, then we will, of course, do that.
2: Thank you very much for having me on.
0: Martin's a very articulate man, Kieran. I know Martin. He he drinks in the Portsmouth's arms before Palace games. He's on the side of the Angels. But you can, you can sense the frustration and the disappointment and the anger. And it's it's something, I, as an outsider, Kieran, it just seems to me that the National League seems to be bending over backwards to mismanage this situation the whole way through. And this, this whole idea that they're pretending it's not them, it's this independent panel, and the independent panel are really sorry about this, but we have to take loads of money away from you and we know you can't afford it because that's why you didn't play the games in the first place. It must be so infuriating for anybody involved with football at that level.
1: Uh, Yeah, it it, it goes beyond any form of common sense. We're in the middle of the world's biggest uh, health challenge for a a century and under unusual times you you take a look at the big picture and the big picture is that we all have our football clubs those in the national league you know, big, you know sort of lower levels in the national league that, that all those matches have been abandoned and, and that everybody's gone on fine with that and um, the clubs who decided not to fulfill their fixtures did so because they want to be able to go and play matches in front of fans in 12 months time the, again, we've been saying you know, why are these people involved in the game in the first place? Just because they love football, yeah. and if you love football, you want your team to be in existence. What the National League is doing is now threatening their financial security and their and their their you know, their potential existence. It, it makes no logical sense. Mm.
0: And we will again, through producer Guy, ask the National League if they want to come and chat to us because we will happily listen to their version of the story. Um, I imagine we will ask in vain, but until that time, we will keep asking because we're nice, sensible people. We want to hear both sides of the story. and It it just occurs to me that there are probably people at the National League who are unsettled by what they're having to do. and That's why they're claiming it's an independent panel of people that we don't know about. Um, Kieran, our final question, and I I kept this question finally deliberately because it's a cracker. in fact, it's more of a question than a documentary, I think. We could we could, <laughs> yes. we could make a programme. It comes from Robert Webster. Uh, and Robert says, given the name of the podcast, I was wondering what the price of football actually is for supporters. I've seen surveys giving annual snapshots, but what does the, this amount to over a lifetime of following a club? Could Kieran fire up a spreadsheet? Could he? Um, and calculate what either he and or Kevin have actually spent on following football down the years? Tickets, travel, programmes, pies, replica shirts, TV subscriptions, et cetera, and roll that forward to give a current value? It's a, it's a great question, and I'm almost dreading the answer again, but I suppose you could do two sets of figures, money you have to spend, i.e. tickets and travel, and then money you don't have to spend, beers, pies, cabs back from Watford because you missed the last train, <laughs> et, et cetera. But I, I, at a conservative effort, I've seen... Estimate rather, I must have seen 800 Palace games. Thinking back to from when I was a kid, I, I dread to think what I've spent in that time
1: watching Palace, right? Well, I hope Mrs. Day isn't listening to this part of the podcast. you do. T- um,
0: how long have you known you've known her for an hour and a half. She's not listening to any part of the
1: podcast,
0: you can take that as a given.
1: <laughs> so, so what I've done, I've based this on having a season ticket at a club. Traveling to fifteen matches a season, yeah, you know, doing fifteen away trips, um, getting a program. Yeah, I know not, people don't buy programs. Having a t sub- uh, having a, a subscription. Um, I, I know. I know we've now gone beyond the age at which we buy kit, but uh, you know, buying buying one shirt a season because over a lifetime, yeah, when you're young, you'd be buying the homes and the ways, um, and, th- and then when it comes, I mean, I, I know you said we we we, we shouldn't is it discretionary spending hmm. um yeah you know, my my mate mike who uh who i, I always uh, have a very high regard for yeah you know, when we're going for an away game he says you know this is this is a way to you know we're away to liverpool this 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 or this is a, this is a critical game towards the end of the season i'm nervous and therefore it's it's a minimum of a six pointer and <laughs> if if it's if you're home against burton albion it's it's only a three pointer you, you know that <laughs> yeah yeah, sometimes that's... you have to, and you know, it makes no difference to me, of course. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, sometimes to, to help calm the nerves, to, to get yourself in the right mental framework before a game. So, so I've I've worked on a basis of that, and you know, you you can't go to a match without eat and drink. Yeah, you know, we we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not monks. Yeah. Um, and and I've also factored in some uh, four cup matches a season as well. Yeah, you know, I've tried I've tried to be as detailed as I can um and uh the the total and th- this is this is domestic only because again I've got my mate I've got some of my mates who who follow England home and away uh I've got friends who support united and liverpool and and they go to all the european games but so excluding that purely domestic uh, over the course of your lifetime
0: 245,700 quid no yeah wow uh phew. Not only am I pleased that Ali doesn't listen to this, but occasionally she'll say, "What did you talk about today?" And I go, "Oh, some some kid keeps getting sent off." Um, God, God costs his family a fortune, two hundred forty five, and that's well. I mean that that notion of only having three pints before a game that doesn't matter. I mean that doesn't compute for a start off. <laughs> two hundred forty five thousand pounds. That's and that's. I mean that's just one because you know a, a, a mate of mine takes his boys virtually every away game, so you can add. Two thirds. well, I know they're both old enough to drink. One of them is, um, but it's um, that's a lot. Of, that's a much, much, much more than I thought. That's astonishing, isn't it? Yeah, but, wow. it, but it's it's, also, it's worth every penny for. Kevin. Oh yeah, I'm not saying that. I'm, um, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm. I'm just thinking about my bank manager asking me recently if I could justify all my expenses. Like uh, yeah, well, this, well, more <laughs> forty-five quid, thousand that pounds. That's a well. I I knew, I knew this was a good question, but that's. That's very interesting, now, I'd like to hear from listeners actually about what they their the peripheral spending on on match days because there must be some people who who are able to walk to the ground just go in and and just spend their money on a ticket but wow that is that's really that's taken me aback a little but that's that's gone right back to. Episode two and three eyebrow raising days, Kieran. <laughs>
1: really? Anyway, oh, ah, okay. Well, if you think about it, yeah. How much is your your Sky and BT subscriptions? Your season tickets? You you, you put in a few, tri- you know, a few big trips. You, you're going you're going up north and so on. And I did this on the basis of, uh I, I just said, on average, it'll be a trip from say London to Birmingham, yeah, for, cool. for your away games. And it, 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 it you you work out how much it's costing you on a match day, Kevin. It's. Uh, no, I don't think
0: I will. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, there's there's not not, to. but when? See, so that's the other thing. When does when does match day stop? I mean that 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 Chinese I get when I'm coming home at nine o'clock from
1: cellar. Does that count? Is that match day spending or is it just? I, I'm, I'm finishing at five o'clock here in, in terms oh, of.
0: Oh, right, so we're have so, so
1: it's it's only, it's only pre and during match uh, drinking. Oh, my
0: God. So you can probably add another 100000 quid on top of that. (laughs) And if you're a Newcastle fan or a Plymouth fan, you probably can add another £50,000. Good Lord. Uh, Robert, thank you for that question. Thank you, everybody, for your question. Um, One more thing to mention, Kieran, uh, and I'm going into reading mode now, as I suspect people will realise. We have a Patreon page. We've held off until now because we always plan to generate income through sponsorship and advertising rather than uh, you uh however so many of you have been in touch to ask how to make a small regular donation have they guy have they that we in inverted commas have decided to go for it (laughs) am i am i making it plain enough that this is guy's idea kieran (laughs) um i think i am this is good so yeah so if you'd like to make a small donation to help us keep going and put on live events that's a new development kieran did you have any idea we were doing live events we? we are live yeah, yeah we're, well, we're not. We're, this is Sunday morning, so don't be don't be misleading people. We're trying to get two quid a month out of. <laughs> uh, if, I mean, if you if you're waiting with bated breath for those live events and a free mug, please feel free to go to patreon.com forward slash Price of Football, and you get treats. Apparently, um, you get treats according to I think is you can only spend two pound or three pound. I can't stress enough to all our dear listeners that it will always be free. This podcast. We will never, ever charge you for listening to this. I don't think we'd have the gall to charge people just to listen to this, Kieran, would we? Um, but if you, if you do want, to, if you are one of those apparently thousands of people that have been in touch to ask how to make a small regular donation, then that'd be, that would be lovely. I'm not saying we wouldn't like the money because clearly we've been in a lockdown and furniture shops haven't been open. So Guy is itching, he's, he's strafing chafing at the bit even to get into ikea for when it has ikea been open it probably has i don't know but um if you do want to donate it's um where have i put it now i've already crossed it out remember it... oh patreon.com patreon.com forward slash price of football yeah and that's the level of competent <laughs> presenting that you get if you want to and of course as always if you have any questions for us about any uh, area of football finance it's questions at price of and in the meantime. I shall leave you in the capable hands of of Kieran. Who knows if you if you become a patron, you might even get a special unedited version of Kieran's goodbye, <laughs> yeah. uh, in, in Russian.
1: <laughs>
0: Not that special. <laughs> <laughs> you'd, have to, you'd have to spend a lot more than two pound a month to get. That. I've been trying to prize the full details of that
1: out of you for eighteen months. I, I could I could try to get hold of uh, Tatiana again and get her to. Say what she used to say to me after special cuddles.
0: Yeah, it's good. Yeah,
1: yeah, you could. Do. That's worth that's worth a fiver of anybody's money a month. I can assure you. Yeah, by which I
0: can gather that the Baroness is not listening to this podcast. <laughs> that's <is> correct.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank thank you uh, once again for your reviews, um, folks. That uh, they they do make us smile, and uh, especially as it all seems about how much. The show belongs to producer Guy, and, and without myself and Kevin, um, it, it would actually probably be better. Uh, so so uh, th- thanks all for all the support. If you could give us a, uh, a five-star review on the Apple podcast, it, it does make a difference, co- towards Guy, according to Guy, as it helps us in the charts, and it helps us to have some credibility, and I know there's not very much uh, in terms of, of when we're trying to book guests and, uh, and arrange sponsors and things of that nature. Other than that, look after yourselves.
0: I told you he'd get loads more five star reviews, didn't I? Yes, you did. You barely hear a peep out of him all week, and then suddenly it's it's like Ireland losing to Luxembourg last night. Suddenly the WhatsApp groups pinging away with here's another five star review." I haven't seen to mention to you. It's, a, it's infuriating. <laughs> Bye, everybody.
1: The price done for football. by some football.